Welcome to today's Creation Today show. We've got an incredible show for you. We're talking about rock solid evidence for the worldwide flood. And when I say rock solid, I mean rock solid. Guys, my guest today is none other than Dr. Tim Clary from the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Clary. It's great to be here. Thank it you. It really is. Thank, thank you, you Thank you. I, I am blown away mm -hmm. at the work that you've done, mm -hmm. the books that you've written, uh, mm -hmm. specifically the recent one. Mm -hmm. You are discovering, I, don't, I mean, I'm mm -hmm. jumping to the conclusion mm -hmm. right away. You're telling people, you're doing the research, the scientific research. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about it. God's word got it right. There was a worldwide flood. God's word is true. And that's, that's, that's the message that I get to tell people. I get to tell people God's word is true because there really is rock solid evidence, to use your words, of a global flood. There really, the more I look every continent I've been looked at, it all shows evidence of a progressive flood. It starts so, you know, minimal, more, more, more. Just like you read Genesis 7, you'll see they kept going higher, increasingly higher, exceedingly higher. God laid it all out there. His word is true. There really was a global flood. And so, the, rocks, the rocks show up. This program, we got a lot of people watching. By the way, if you're joining us on YouTube or on Facebook, thank you guys for hanging out with us. You guys get to join us for the first half hour of the show. Then we got to kick you off. If you want to watch the whole show, go to creationtoday.org. There's going to be some people watching this that are either into geology, they study it. Some of them may be even geologists. You are a PhD geologist, and you agree with the Bible. What do you say to people that go, I'm a geologist and I disagree with the Bible? Like, Do you have any... Any thoughts for them? Well, the rocks are real. And, and when you look at the rocks, the rocks don't have it. There's no agenda on the rocks. The rocks still reflect a global flood. The data is the, the data. The data is there. I've had people who read my book, Carved in Stone. They looked at it. They read through the whole thing. And they said, the data, we love your data, Tim. We just don't like your interpretation. But the data is real. And, and no one, to my knowledge, has been ever done the research we're doing at ICR this this that I've been compiling for almost nine years now. Oh I've got through five continents. I'm starting on the sixth continent. And, and no one has done to the extent that I've done. There was some early studies in the 70s and 80s. But now there's so much more drilling offshore. There's so much more data offshore that we're finding some amazing things. Like coal seems 200 miles offshore. They shouldn't be there. You know, the wow. secular community has to say they grew there. But how can they grow in 3,000 feet of water, 3,000 meters of water? And so there's tremendous things that we're finding the farther we drill out, as oil companies drill out, they're finding lots and lots of data. They're releasing that data, and I'll be able to look through that data and make these columns. So, so far today, as about today, we've got over 3,000 columns that we've compiled across, again, parts of five continents, actually the sixth continent, we're beginning in Australia now. So You're going to have to explain a little bit of that, but okay. some, people are going, some people are going, well, I, what I want you to understand mm -hmm. is, in the middle of you saying geology proves the earth is millions of years old because isn't 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 the columns isn't right. not the not the core samples that you're studying but the geologic mm -hmm. column isn't that like one of the major mm -hmm. tenets of the earth is millions and billions right. of years old but the rocks don't tell us how old they are they just give <laughs> us the order they just say we're you can the earlier ones were deposited first because they're piled on top of the later and more and more young ones so the rocks don't tell us the age the fossils don't tell us the age either now they can go through an age date, you know, lava layers or flood or ash flow and that sort of thing, but that's you know those are based on a lot of assumptions, which is another whole talk in itself. Uh, we, you know, as creationists, we disagree with those great age dates because they're unverifiable. They're they're science that can't be tested. 
And so when you go back, when they do test them, and I talk about this in my book, and other people have shown this, that in Steve Austin and, and predecessors at ICR, they've shown that you know, even the secular scientists, when they know the age of that lava flow, when it was supposed to happen historically, whether it's 1,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago, 200 years ago, when they age data using these radioactive techniques, their numbers are off by orders of magnitude every time. There's so, almost no example where they knew the age, maybe one, by accident almost, where they, where they knew the age of that particular lava layer when it erupted by historical records, and they, and they get dates that are like hundreds of thousands of years old or, or millions of years old when they know it happened in the last thousand years. And you're talking about dates using the, the radiometric right. type dating Potassium systems. argon, things like that, yeah. argon, argon. Those type of radioactive dating techniques that, you know, most of geology, we don't use carbon-14 because they assume it's all decayed away. Right. You know, they assume millions of years and billions of years. But the rocks really don't tell us how old they are. You drill in, it's all relative, relative so time. does it help, like when, when somebody tells me, ah, oh, you're wrong, these mm -hmm. layers are millions of years old, d does it help for, like, for, for somebody to understand, they came up with the ages long before radiometric dating was even thought of or possible? Right. In some ways, yes. Okay. They already were talking that right away about the end of the 18th century when James Hutton right. was looking at these unconformities and he said, this must have taken a lot longer than we thought. And they already, we're already talking millions of years in the 19th century, even before these techniques were developed in the 20th century. Correct. They just didn't know how old. And so, you know, they jumped the millions because it's like, to me, it's like Monopoly money. Yeah. So, you know, nobody can imagine a million years. It. Nobody That's can imagine a million years. And so they jumped right from hundreds of thousands of years, which you can almost imagine, you know, a thousand years, two thousand years, as, as humans we can imagine, maybe a hundred thousand. But you jump that next order of magnitude to millions, and there's no hope. Wow. It's like you're playing with monopoly money. So they throw these millions of years around because they needed those millions and billions of years for any chance of their evolutionary story to be true. Huh. They have to kind of hide it behind this cloak of deep time. And that is and so the they developed that yeah, together that along with evolution. You know, I think it's it's basically satanic. You know, it's the whole idea is this mystery, where you got to have deep time. You got to have this evolutionary story. You can't have evolution without a lot of time because we don't see evolution happening today. That's a good point. We see things changing, but we don't see really anything evolving, and we really never have. We have the rock record with fossils in them, but the fossils show up suddenly, fully formed. And then you get more fossils, maybe different fossils, suddenly fully formed. You see some stasis, they stay the same for a while, then they disappear. And it's, that's, that goes back to what we're talking about today, the progressive flood. I think that's fascinating. So really, in history, the last nine years of research that you've been able to do and all the, the drilling they've done on shores, this is really some of the best and the, really the first, I don't want to say the first time, but this is, we're finally able to study geologists, geology, from a young earth perspective and show how it confirms the Bible. Right, exactly. When I started this, I said, let's just start, you know, I talked to our predecessor, I started to Henry Morris III. He's like, I want you to work on that column project, whatever that, he didn't really understand it all. <laughs> really what we're looking at is if you drilled a well right here, all the way down to the crust, you know, how many thousands of feet, we use meters because we're scientists, we try to confuse people, <laughs> but how many meters of limestone, sandstone, shale, whatever's there, we put whatever is there, physically what's there today. I realize there's been a lot of erosion, sometimes even between the layers as, the, as waves of the flood came in and went back, you're going to erode some things. But what's still there today, to me, still tells that compelling story that there was this global flood. There's, there's no other way to interpret it, in my opinion. I, I show the people, the doubters, the old earth geologists, you know, the people that are atheists, they don't believe in God at all. To them, they love my data, but they just, they, but they, I, don't, I don't know how else to interpret it, other than it confirms 
what God told us. You know, why do we doubt? Wow. God told us it was a flood. He told us it was a global flood. If it wasn't a global flood, why would you bring the birds? Yeah. You know, why wouldn't the birds just fly away? Why didn't Noah just leave with his family in the decades they had to build the ark? He could have just left and gone somewhere else. If it was just the Middle East, you know, why would you do the things they had to do and prepare? If you don't have a pen out and paper ready like I do, <laughs> we are about to get a nice little lesson on the worldwide flood. Mm-hmm. Dr. Clary, give us some rock solid evidence of the worldwide flood. What, what, what all do you need to communicate to us? The secular community or the conventional geologists that come up with six major floods. They believe there are six floods. They just don't believe it ever flooded everything. And so they see evidence that the sea level advanced and then kind of backed off and sea level advanced and backed off. And they, they see that evidence in the rocks. They see the marine fossils deposited in Kansas, for example. They see marine yeah. fossils deposited in Alberta, Canada. And, and, and it's even worse than that for them, in my opinion, because you see mixing of land and marine. All over, everywhere I look, from India to Brazil to Europe particularly, we it's see not mixing just of land a, and marine. Here's, here's land, here's marine. No, it's, it's, it's mixing in the same layers. You know, we see six species of sharks in the same rock layer with the T-Rexes in the Hell Creek Formation in Montana. Wow. And they just, it was five and they found a sixth one recently, but they have to argue these are all freshwater fish or freshwater sharks. And so to me, they, they have to kind of distort the reality of most sharks are ocean sharks. Right. And we also find coelacanth fish, that living fossil they found that's supposed to be extinct yep. since the Cretaceous. And you know, there's supposedly this Cretaceous. That's just a level in the flood. You know, these words we use, Jurassic, Cretaceous, that's I was just wondering a level in the flood. They're not periods. There's no periods of time other than the flood, which was about a year. And the flood is what created mm-hmm. all of what we now refer to as Jurassic right. Cre- right. Cretaceous. Those are just like different. That. Those are kind of almost almost like a relative level that we have to use to kind of we okay. use the terms, but we call them systems not periods, because we don't want people to get the idea there was a period of time. The Jurassic this might system. Have been, this might have been a couple days, or it might have been a week during the flood that that was being deposited pretty much globally. And you see the same fossils. So the original geologic column, they just started looking at fossils, how fossils changed, and said, okay, these fossils changed enough, let's call that a different you know, system. They call oh, it period. And if fossils changed enough, so they call it different systems. So all the whole column, even before they had years that they started to stick in later, was all based on fossils they could correlate and they saw the same fossils in the same layers. They said, that's the same, they call it a period, but same system. And so there's a lot of similarity to the fossils around the world I'm seeing in my research because the same environments are being deposited and being buried at the same time. So you in a sense, you're doing that. the same thing. You're looking at the fossils, mm-hmm. you're looking at where things end, and you're going, you're, you're not necessarily, mm-hmm. I mean, I know you're starting mm-hmm. with a biblical worldview, right? but you're not necessarily saying, how do I fit this mm-hmm. data into the Bible. You're just saying, let me look at the data, right. and That's it happens to fit the Bible. That's how I started. I said, let's just go back. Let's just all you know, take the gloves off, and let's just look at the rocks. Started with North America. Where does it show? And then I went to Africa. What does it show? And then I went to South America. I went to Europe, and I got those. Far, you know, when you kind of put things back together into what I think the pre-flood world was like a Pangea-like thing, you, you know, that's when you close the Atlantic up. You can kind of see how they all match, and it's just it's amazing the similarities we see in the fossil types being deposited at the same time and the progression of the flood. And that's what we'll look at some of our maps. Yeah, I'm, okay, this is fascinating but, to me. But there really is strong evidence of a global flood because the Bible talks about a global flood. Everything it hints at was a global flood. Even the New Testament references are a global flood. I just had a conversation with Dr. Hugh Ross who mm-hmm. would say, no, it was local. Yeah. You mentioned the birds. Right. Are, are there any other things that you go, here's why, I mean, I love Dr. Ross mm-hmm. as, a, as an individual. Mm-hmm. I, I I think he's wrong on that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd say that you go, 
you're looking at the rock data and going, that's impossible. Right. There, there's some things out there. Not only do we see the same continents or the same multiple continents showing the same thing at the same time. Oh. To me, the only way to explain five so far, five continents doing basically the same thing at the same time is a global event. So there has to be something global that took place to deposit all these fossils and all these rocks because we see each continent starts out slow and each continent progresses a little more. Each continent progresses a little more and each time the fossils are matching up just like you're burying the same environments all over the world at the same time. But how do you have all five continents so far, and I'm working on the sixth one, how do you have all five continents do the same thing at the same time? If it's it not a global event. It has to be a global event. It has to be a global Phenomena like that needs a global explanation, and the Bible tells us about it. The oh, beauty man. of it all is it, it, it confirms exactly what the Bible said. That's awesome. You know, why do we doubt That's God's like, Word? Why do we doubt? Even, even the, in Job, they talk about the sauropods eating grass. Yeah. You know, the behemoth eating grass. And the, you know, the non-Christian people or even some of the older people are like, well, that's not a dinosaur. There's no dinosaurs after the flood. That's nonsense. But really, they didn't believe there was grass. Until 2005, in India, they found dinosaur dung from long-necked dinosaurs, sauropod dinosaurs, just like the behemoth most likely was. Yeah. It had five species of grass in it. Wow. So just like you can find your, your horse droppings, you can see what yeah. they ate. Grass doesn't fossilize well on its own, but if it's in dung, it fossilized really well. So they really were eating grass. And that's exactly what the Bible said all along. The Bible told us behemoth was eating grass like the ox. Yeah. And they didn't even think, you know, the, evolutionary story was grass didn't even appear until after the dinosaurs went extinct. Wow. But here they are eating it. And they just, eh, okay. You know, they never go back and go, well, I guess we were wrong. I know. That's the they thing were so the, wrong in that case. The just evidence keeps like stacking up, whether it's the soft tissue mm -hmm. or the, uh, what is oh, it yeah. that Dr. Thomas studies? The co co Not collagen. Is it collagen? It's collagen. collagen yeah. That's yeah. one of the proteins. The collagen. Yeah. That over and over mm -hmm. and over, we keep seeing more and more evidence that Wow, this got it right. The Bible got it right. And, and it was a recent flood. You know, it was 4,500 years yeah. ago, according to the genealogies. Wow. And that's exactly what the scientific data is stacking up to show. All right. So what do you believe? Do you believe in a worldwide flood, a local flood, or mm. no flood? Put it in the comments. Tell me what you think. Uh, I want to know I want to know what you guys are thinking uh, on this because um, I'm curious to get into these maps. Now, mm -hmm. you got to talk real Are you going to go into kind of your what you've done for your research? A little bit. I can okay. explain some of that, I guess. But have you actually well. gone to these comments, or this is data that is no, provided? This, this, this data, I have to, I have to, have to mine. <laughs> mine? I have to mine the, net, the internet. You know, I have to mine, oh, mine the internet. Okay. I, to, I use Google a lot. Maybe I shouldn't say that. They'll cut me off. <laughs> but I, I use Google. I do Google Scholar, different things. And, and the oil companies, when they drill offshore and they find a discovery, they like to brag about it. Oh. So they'll publish a paper. They'll put. A, they'll even publish the whole PowerPoint online a lot of times. So and, you can and, go look at and, all and this I'm a, data. And I'm a member of the, some of the oil and gas societies and things like that. So I'm access to their journals, and so I can see these things as they're coming in. Now it's a few years past the drilling, but they'll start right. reporting on them. And by the way, I should mention, you worked in the oil and gas right. industry as a geologist yeah. for a number of years. Yeah, so about, about nine years. Yeah. So this Eight is half, like yeah. this is your mm -hmm. field. This is what you know. And that's helped me do the research I'm doing. If I didn't have that background, I think I would struggle more mm. trying to understand the data that I can find. And so I don't physically go there, but I can still find the rocks that are there. And they give these columns. They give thicknesses. Some of them are really easy where they give the, the whole column and the thicknesses in different areas. But most of the times that's not the case. Most times I've got to find the rocks. I've got to find papers that show the thickness. I've got to find oil wells. A lot of them are from oil wells. I mean, those are 
that's you can just lay it right out there. That's awesome. Oil wells, right. they they log every every foot as they oh. go down thousands of feet, and the only place where my data is maybe not repeatable. I mean, someone else could do this if you want to spend nine years of your life doing <laughs> what I'm doing. Go have uh, fun. But it, but it's been the greatest research I've ever done because it is showing exactly what the Bible said all along. And I started out saying, let's just look at the data. What's the data going to show? And I was a little worried. I, I'll admit, I was really? a little worried. I'm like, maybe this isn't going to show you know an obvious global event. Right. But it does. Huh. It, you know, North America. Africa, South America, they all show a very similar pattern. We'll see some of that when we get to our graphs and things at the end. That's it starts awesome. out slow. Now, that's, if you read Genesis 7, I challenge the readers to go out there and read Genesis 7, and you'll see, you get the impression that it was a progressive flood. And God gives us a couple of key dates. He gives us day one, the fountains, the great deep burst open. And I think that's when God miraculously cracked open all these plate boundaries that started to move then. Like Dr. John Baumgunder showed, they moved catastrophically fast during the flood year. Now their plates are moving like this. But during the flood year, they move fast. Now the scoffers out there will say, well, Tim, no, no, they didn't move fast. You know, John Baumgartner is wrong, but his math has never been shown to be wrong. You know, everything he did, his computer models show that's what would happen. You would have rapid subduction, rapid plate movement. And the secularists used to scoff 50, 60, 70 years ago with any plate movement. They said, no, oh, that's nonsense. There's no plate movement. And, and now, now, they, now they admit there's plate movement this much per year which is the residual kind of, you know, once you move these plates really fast during the flood year. During the flood year, they're moving meters per second. And that's what John Baumgartner showed. And that seems to be the, the mechanism that God used to bring on the flood. It pushes up the seafloor from below by making new hot crust. Pushes up from below. The more crust you make, the more ocean crust you make, the more it pushed up from below. So the tsunami waves generated by all these earthquakes kept going higher and higher and higher. More ocean crust, higher. More ocean crust, higher. Eventually it went over the top on day 150. And then every, every Airbnb. I'm looking at Genesis there. 7. I'm going, okay. But at the end of the chapter, the, you know, the chapter that talks about the. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Mm -hmm. So they reached their peak at 150. That's the same time the ark grounded. So I think there was a piece of land near Mount Ararat in the mountains of Ararat that rose up from below. And I actually have a, a spot, I think, to where that might have actually occurred. Okay, that's cool. It's a little different than some people, but that's, you know, the timing of things has to be, you have to reach the high point of the flood. So to me, my research is showing that's about near the, what's called the Cretaceous system, you know, the K, K, KPG boundary, and that's one of the big sequence boundaries. But the way I've looked at this is I've attacked it the way the secularists came up with a new system of, of called sequences, or we call them mega sequences now because there's so many different terms. There's parasequences and all these different things. And so, <laughs> so we, so we go right to the big time sequences. They're global. These are the global sequences gotcha. identified by oil and gas geologists and academics. They started out in North America, so they used North American, Native American names to differentiate them from the Ordovician and the Cambrian. Uh -huh. Most of those are European names. And so he lumps a few of these together. So he ended up with six major floods we were talking about earlier, but they don't think it ever flooded everything. But so it flooded in and backed off, flooded in and backed off six different times. Across and, North and America. And so we use those as kind of the chapters to help us look at the flood. So we did that in my talk and in my research. I used those sequences as my kind of boundaries which sequences are where, and when you put, plot those up, the extent of those sequences across the continents, that's when you see that pattern. All right, let's see it. That's when they all show the same sort of things going on. So it was a global flood. It was a catastrophic flood, too. There was no tranquil flood to it at all. Mm. You know, that's why we see all these animals buried and ripped apart and torn apart. We find bone beds of dinosaurs all, right, all and ripped twisted all apart. apart. Yeah, yeah. But it was a progressive flood. That's, that's what I'm seeing, which I never knew. 
But then I read Genesis chapter 7, I'm like, why didn't I see this? That's what God tells us. See, that's it, because I've always yeah, thought, like, okay, if pretty, it rained 40 clear. days and 40 nights, mm-hmm. found the great deep broke up, water's yeah. up, it sits there for a year, mm-hmm. ocean basins sink down. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I guess it's, I haven't gone into that much right. detail on So we on use this. these names, like the Sock Sequence, and, you know, which includes the Cambrian Ordovician systems, but you got to get the idea of the periods out of your head. There is no period of time, you know, millions of years ago, and this, only these things live. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the evolutionary story. Okay. All we see is a progressive, more and more rock layers piled on top of each other, piled on top of each other, but they're consistent with the fossils buried at each level because they were burying different ecological zones all around the world at the same time as the water went higher. And so it appears that God arranged the pre-flood world somewhat orderly. So through all this chaos of death and destruction, this judgment because of man's wickedness, there was all this order to the fossils. And you can find order globally of the same fossils being deposited about the same time. So you're so the dinosaurs saying, all show up at the same time, right? You know, pretty much orderly, and then they disappear. There's no extinction. That's just where their environment was totally wiped out by the advancing floodwaters. Interesting. So there's really no extinction events at all. And are you seeing those uh, ecosystems, if I can call them that? Yeah. That's are the, you seeing them as different elevations? I believe so. Okay. And, and that's some of the details I have to work out yet, because right now I'm just looking at these big chapters. I need to go back and look at some of the, you know, the rocks are basically the pages of the of the flood. Mm-hmm. You can record the levels, but I'm looking at them in kind of chunks, chapters at a time, to look at the global picture. Got it. But there's, you know, more research for another generation. I was somebody, like, that sounds like job, job security if you want to well, get into this, okay? Well, it sounds some, like there's a lot to do. Somebody out there can go back and, and refill in more data than I'm doing. I mean, I'm trying to get representative data on every continent, and so I'm end up with a reasonable amount of columns. And most of them, again, are repeatable. This, wow. is, this is repeatable. You could go out there and get the same result. But where I have to guesstimate sometimes is sometimes all the oil wells don't go all the way down to the crust. Mm. And so sometimes I have to project in from the seismic data that shot must never been drilled what they think is down there. So in some cases, the deepest rocks are also a little bit more questionable. Okay. And so I, I look at it like 80, 85% repeatable. Okay. Because there's times where I have to guesstimate based on the knowledge I'm kind of picking up. And that's where my geology training comes in where you can kind of guesstimate what's really down there with a reasonable assumption. Yeah, yeah. And using what people think is down there as well. I try to go with what uh, has been published. And you're publishing this research, right? So, I yeah. mean, if they mm-hmm. want to go, if they want to go look at this, mm-hmm. they can go to icr.org. Yeah. They can look at the research. They can look at yeah. the, um, they, um, they, look well, at that. They can buy my book, Carved in Stone, yeah, which covers absolutely. three continents, but eventually I'm going to have to do another book or volume two or something that covers all the continents. So okay. At least six of them. Antarctica is a little tough because so much is covered with ice. I don't want to guess what's down there. There is some work around the edges I can do and some rock sticking up in the middle. It's just interesting to me that you're saying this really is rock solid evidence. You got yeah. secularists going, you're right. Don't like the conclusion. Yeah, they agree with the data. The data is real. You know, they're not they're not saying, gee, Tim, your data is wrong. You know, they, they're like, huh. And so I'm, I'm hoping to make a few of them nervous. Okay. Because to me, there's no other way to explain this stuff. You know, we're, re- we're doing database science. And that's what people, it's a lot of work. And a lot of people don't want to do it. And that's why this kind of study hasn't been done. Everybody's always trying to do shortcuts. They're trying to computer model stuff. Trying to, well, we use a computer, too. We put our data into a computer. <laughs> yeah. And it interpolates between the columns. But, that's, but we have really you know, a lot of data it's, points. It's actual data. It's, it's actual core data samples. Points, right. And how many core samples did you say you guys have? Uh, well, we've done over 3,000 as of today. Wow. And probably we're close to 3,100 now. And we're probably going to put several hundred more in for sure across Australia. So it'll probably be close to 3,500, maybe even 4,000 data points when it's done. That's amazing. Which, That's you know, amazing. it doesn't sound like a lot globally, but it is. 
Oh yeah, four thousand. You look at the core samples from around 3, the now, but from around the world. But it all starts, you know, with the fountains of the great deep bursting on day one, and then you work your way up. And God says in Genesis seven ten, He says, "In the six hundred year of Noah's life, all the fountains of the great deep broken open, the windows of heaven are open." And this, I believe, again, this is maybe the miracle that started the flood. Mm. You know, I'm not afraid of saying God stepped in to do a miracle, but He might have started it, cracked open the earth, all these locations, and then the heavy, dense ocean crust at the surface was unstable because it's really dense stuff at the top. Dense at the top is not a good thing when it's less dense below. And so once so those cracks opened up, some of these started slipping down and subducting away. And I think subduction began a little slow early on because we don't see a lot of flooding early on. And the whole key to the flood, I think, was the formation of new ocean crust. Destruction of the old ocean crust through the subduction process, pulling down the old dense ocean crust. It kind of pulled down, and John Baumgartner talked about how that's going to happen really quickly. It reaches a critical temperature, it's just going to start dropping like a weight in water. Mm. And so that's why it moved you know, yards per second or several miles per hour. So it's ocean crust that's being subducted, right. leaving the land, the, the the land to, to leave the around. fossils that we have right. today. And so when you subduct it away, of course, it pulls away and opens up those cracks, and you had to be replaced with more mantle material, which made more ocean, new ocean crust. But the new ocean crust was hot more buoyant, and so it pushes up like your bathtub getting pushed up from the bottom. That's gonna, you know, water doesn't compress well, so it has right. to rise. So you push the seafloor up. Uh, My good friend, Dr. Andrew Snelling, calculated, I think it's like one and a half miles of water would rise about one and a half miles. It's either one mile or one and a half miles, I have to double check. Uh, when you calculate out, you push up the seafloor enough, that's how high the water would go, just by pushing the bottom of the seafloor up. Wow. And I think that might have been enough to flood the highest hills. The, pre-flood world might have only been four or five thousand feet high for the highest mountains. Okay, I was, most, I've always wondered that. Is most there any mountains, way we can know? Well, I'm going to try to work on that when I plot out my data. Okay. I start seeing what was flooding, what wasn't, what, you know, how thick the rocks were. There may be ways we can guesstimate on that with, within a reasonable number. Wow. But it looks like there may have, might have only been four or five thousand feet high for the highest points. Okay. Himalayas, you know, all these mountain ranges, 80% of them all popped up at the end of the flood as the waters are receding. That, that's another whole story in itself. That Dr. John Baumgart talks about this isostatic rebound, and you know, if you have thick crust, it's going to push up from below like a cork does, and that's what really happened. But you know, the secularists, the conventional geologists, they have to explain why did 80% of the world's mountains all show up at once, huh. even in their time frame. You even know, in their time frame, 80% of the eight, world's mountains show up. And, at the and same to me, time. It's, it's in that last sequence. You know, that it's post-Cretaceous. You know, it's in the what we call the Tejas mega sequence, the receding phase. I think. That, that's where all these mountains pop up all over the world. Flood water is, is, is draining off. Is, it, is, it, is that water heavy enough, up. heavy enough to allow now the pressure from underneath to, to push up, or is that kind of an ignorant view of it? Yeah, I don't, I don't, does yeah, that make sense? I don't, think the, I don't think the water had much influence on it. Okay. I mean, the water obviously was heavy, right. but I don't think it had as much influence as you maybe you're suggesting. Okay. But. Don't okay. feel bad. I'm just trying that's to think through this, man. I, that's, the like, kind of, that's the kind of crazy thoughts I have sometimes. I, I think through this, I'm like, does that make sense? Because you, you got to have that inquisitive mind. Yeah. You know, that to be a scientist, you got to be thinking, you know, it, but the problem with science, it, it requires a lot of time. Yeah. And, and slow, in my case, slow methodical data collecting over, you know, basin by basin, country by country, little area by area, plotting it up, plotting it up. And when you get a, you know, when you finally get a continent done and my assistant at ICR, Davis J. Warner, puts all this stuff together, he, you know, he's the man. 
It's like, you know, he's the, he's the guy that knows how to run the computer program. And so, and you see the data, it's like, wow. You're bringing out gold now. You're, yeah. you're mining and bringing out nothing but gold. And so, now you're. So, so I'm putting in columns, putting in columns, latitude, longitude, you know, thousands of meters of this, you know, these places. When you finally see the whole continent, you're like, wow. And then you look back at the last continent and the last continent and the last continent, and you see they're all doing the same thing. Wow. At the same time. So, you know, tell your friend Hugh Ross, how does he explain? All, all of this. these, uh, all these continents doing the same thing at the same time. And all right, we'll you, see some of this as we go along. So uh, we got a question for you. How do we see this globally? Well, you got to show. We got to show it yeah. to. We'll show, show some of the too. maps and things. Okay. Like that. And this is the real data. But here's the fountains of the deep kind of breaking up here. The bottom I talked about. Then early on, it was 40 days and 40 nights of rain. And, and a right. lot of my students and my wife included, before she started listening to my talks, thought <laughs> the flood ended in 40 days. 40 days, days right? You know, I teach for liberty as an adjunct, and they all answer the question, 40 days, because that's right. the songs they sing right. in Bible school and things. But it's not, that was just the beginning of the flood. Things got a lot worse. I think the first 40 days, you're only flooding shallow marine areas, vast shallow marine areas, particularly in North America. But other continents, not so vast, okay. because we only see marine fossils almost <coughs> exclusively in those first, four, you know, those first few sequences, first three sequences, in fact. So if you look at this first three sequences, the Sauk, Tepic, and Cascaskia, which goes up through... How, where do they get these names? Like, is it, it well, the, is that hard for people? Some people are going to look at these names and go, what? Well, just worry about chapters one through six. Okay, <laughs> all right, so, sounds good. But they really, they kind of, these are the bigger packages that include the traditional geologic names that you run into. Again, I hate to use the word periods, but that's a secular time scale, so we're okay. using their time scale here. And we're also showing their sea level curve, which they say is supposed to go really high in the Sauk and Tepic, and then it goes down to the... Going up is going to the left in this case, that green. Okay. And then so you see another really big high at the top of the Cretaceous, which I believe is the high point of the flood. But this early rise, you'll see my graph later, doesn't fit the data. Okay. And so this is wrong. Interesting. And but I this is secular. This a, I presented this at a secular conference and I said, have we been lying to our students for the last 30 years? Whoa. And they even admit that that's the weakest link in their interpretation. And most of it is driven by North America. And a lot of North America does seem to flood. But it's because it was a shallow sea, I believe, in the pre-flood world. But you look at the other continents, and they're high and dry through this. So there wasn't a global rise in sea level as much as they say here. It was a progressive flood, as we'll see later. And John Baumgartner is the guy that came away with the runaway subduction idea, and I think that's the reason why we have ocean crust, original ocean crust being consumed, new ocean crust being made in that process. And also, jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit, that subduction process also creates the right chemistry for explosive volcanoes to get the Mount St. Helens. Wow. You have to have subduction magma. It's a different melt than you get from the mantle. Interesting. And so you got to have this distillation process almost going on twice when you put it back in the, in the earth and you're only melting the minerals that will melt at the lowest temperatures. Most of those slabs continue to go down, you can see right here, into the earth. Here's how subduction kind of works off the west coast, but you see those slabs are still blue. All over where they shoot these things, blue means they're still the same density, they're still cold. And so these sleds go down all the way down to the core in some cases, and they're still cold. So if they really took millions of years to move down there, they would have heated up by now. Interesting. Yeah, they shouldn't still be cold. So you're saying even in 4,000 years, mm -hmm. they have not warmed up to certain no, temperatures that we would expect them to warm up to, especially if well, the Earth is 4 billion years right. old. They fit 4,500 right. years. Right, that's what I meant. They right. fit that. They don't fit hundreds of millions of years old, which is what the secular conventional scientists would say. And they never explained that either. Now that's interesting because I would have so looked at that. So to me, subduction is you know what we're seeing with this seismic tomography is called all over the world, all over the Pacific, and here's just a few examples of them. 
we see these slabs that are still the same density, meaning they're the same temperature as Dr. Baum, John Baumgartner says. You know, there's no other explanation for them other than temperature. Interesting. And so that's a big problem for them. <laughs> so we don't believe in subduction, but also subduction provides the right kind of explosive volcanoes to bring on the ice age at the end of the flood. Because like Mount St. Helens is mm -hmm. tiny right. compared to mm -hmm. some of the volcanoes right. that happen. and things right. like that. Yes. And so you need that kind of chemistry, but God knew what he was doing. You know, we just, Even I, I, see, I see this much of, you know, you know, he provided coal for us in this judgment, yeah. he provided oil for us in, in this judgment, knowing that we would need it in this generation, even though a lot of people are trying to get us away from these fossil fuels, right. God provided all that fuel for us to use. Oh, okay, so. In the chaos of the flood, even. Was there really enough, because this is an argument mm -hmm. I watch, mm -hmm. I watch YouTubers get on and they mm -hmm. just, you really think there was enough coal? There mm -hmm. were, there's millions of years worth of yeah. trees to, okay. Well, well, they're thinking the old story of how coal forms. They're thinking about you got to get, you know, peat slowly breaking off these trees, growing uh, in place. You're building up this layer and layer upon peat. But it really, I think it's just in mass burial of vegetation. And there was a lot, of vegetation. a lot of vegetation. And so you don't need a 10 to 1 ratio. You don't even need a 5 to 1 ratio. You may only need like a 2 to 1 ratio. You just compact that stuff down. Into and, coal. And into coal. And so the plants are torn off the plant land. You know, we see the plants going through a change as well, just like the fossils do. From the higher swampy plants early on to you know higher elevation flowering plants later on. So the you know the evolutionists say, well, plants evolved, right. but it's really just ecological zonation again. This is the you this know? is the order they were buried in, and That's they're the buried based on the, so we, the elevations. So we see a lot of coal, and we see the most coal actually in the Tejas when the, when I believe the water was receding. That's some of the thickest coal seams on most of the continents of the world Whoa. is in that Tejas, which a lot of people don't. You know, recognize all that. the way to the top, all the way at the end, it's all the way to the end, and you see tremendous amounts of this Tejas coal off Siberia. Huh. They drill oil wells through offshore in the Arctic Ocean, and they're hitting layers and layers of coal. Unbelievable. Hundred miles offshore, in the South China Sea, they're 150, almost 200 miles offshore, in 3,000 meters of water, how which could... is 10,000 feet. You know this, yeah. And it's down another mile beyond that. So how do these things grow in place that far offshore? They had to be swept, to be out swept there. off the shore. And, then and buried, I believe that was the receding phase because the receding phase is such a tremendous amount of material being shed off. And it's, it's, there's okay. just so All much right. information right. we could go on for hours. Okay, this is but good. Well, but move right, move right along. So there's these cold slabs deep, and I think the subduction causes the seafloor to rise, or not subduction, the new seafloor being created is hotter, so it pushes the seafloor up from below. So the more you subducted, the more you had to make new crust, and that crust was hot and buoyant to push the seafloor up. Okay. And I think that's what really caused the the flooding as the new seafloor is created through the year of the flood, even in the receding phase, they were still making new crust, a lot of new crust. But it and was it's cooling. Just, the new crust is higher and higher right, because it's because, buoyant. Because it's more buoyant until it cools and then it sinks. And so the deepest oceans are farthest from these ridges now and they've had more time to cool. But during the receding phase, you were still making a lot of new crust, but you, the net result was you were cooling enough of it that it was drawing the water off. Mm. And God says in the Bible, provide a wind right. to blow it off as well. Yes. And so there might have been another miracle where God steps in and started to blow the water off the continents. And so it really took off fast initially, leaving us big deposits and things. And so we have these tsunami lake waves coming in. But here's the first map here. This is oh, the, the sock sequence. Glad you got to this because YouTube and Facebook, I'm going to have to keep, kick you off here in just a second, mm -hmm. but at least you're getting one of these sequences mm -hmm. here. Talk about this. But this is the beginning. This is that first chapter. This is the sock sequence. This is the Cambrian and some of the Ordovician system rocks, but I don't have Australia done, so ignore that. But it's got Asia down here, South America, Africa, Middle East, North America, and it stretches a little bit up 
because of the projection. But this is what you see. And, you and see the sock was the lowest layer. Right. That's this, all This is where the, the, the Cambrian explosion is, which again, right. the, yeah. the geologists, you know. Can't could, explain it. They can't explain that either, the traditional geologists. Where does it, why does suddenly you get fully formed trilobites? And there's right. No, and there's nothing below. If you're not familiar, Cambrian explosion is, is in the geologic column. All of a sudden, at this one layer, all life forms, I got all these life forms appear, and they're like, well, how does evolution account for going from simple cell to all of a sudden this that quickly? And they can't explain it. And you're saying. And they purposely gone back and looked. They looked at the rocks below that. So it's called the Ediacaran, the Precambrian, the, some of the sediments, which I think might have been part of the earliest flood in some places. There's some debate where the flood begins. Got it. And it, it may be, there's a few spots. And they've looked below it, and there's nothing. Wow. I mean, they've tried and tried and tried. We've written some articles at our website, at ICR, about that. They, there's, they found nothing. So nothing below that, all of a sudden, boom, boom. life. Yeah, there's the marine, there's stromatolites and marine algae things and things like that below it, but there's, you don't see the trilobites, and the trilobites already have a compound die, boom. Right, automatically, no slow evolutionary yeah, process. And, so, and that's what we see throughout the rock record, just new things showing up, fully formed. As we go through, it's just, it's amazing. But, uh, but let's go back to the rocks. Yeah, yeah, hit these rocks. So this quick. is the, the beginning. And you notice most of South America, most of Africa are high and dry. The yeah. blue shows where they are. It's really a thickness map, so the green areas are really thick. The darkest colors, almost black, are really, really thin. And, but this is really, the, the blue shows the extent. And, so and this everything is all white, based on core samples our, that have been drilled. Our, our core, yeah, you can see our data that where there isn't anything. All those little dots are our, are our columns. Wow. And so there's quite a bit of data. Across, even across Canada, there's not many data points because you've got exposed crust there. A lot of Africa, there's a lot of exposed crust as well. But these areas weren't covered, apparently. At least today, this, there's no sock sequence there. So if you can zoom in North America, we see even the bottommost layer, this yellow represents the sandstone. This is a blanket sand. It's secular scientists are still struggling trying to explain how do you get one sandstone layer, which is what all that yellow represents, from Michigan, my home state, all the way down to Texas, all the way up to yeah. the Rockies. I mean, look at that. All that yellow was one big sand that swirled around the high of what's Canada. I think Canada was at the higher ground at the time. A little bit of blue is limestone off in Alaska. But what was being deposited initially as the water started to flood in was a sandstone layer. And it's continuous. It goes from place to place. To see it in, my, in Michigan, I wrote an article this month's X and Facts coming out in March is going to show the pictured rocks on Lake Superior in Michigan. It's the same thing as the bottom of Grand Canyon. Right. And you can drill all the way, and they've drilled wells all the way between, and they show, you see those dots on there, that all shows the same place where they've drilled. And there's a zone down the middle of the country where there really isn't any. Even our columns are a little bit exaggerate how much is there in some cases that is really a so here's the chip of canoe which looks very similar to what we just looked at this is the next right. layer up next okay so this is chapter two and you see a very similar pattern a lot of north america but you still don't see much of south america much of africa or even much of europe or asia being flooded and you can go to the kaskaskia same sort of story very minimal flooding a little bit more up there and offshore like europe but essentially most of africa most of south america most of asia and like Canada, those areas, still high and dry. And all you see in those first three sequences are, sh are shallow marine critters. Mm. There's almost no coal. A the clams, bit. the shells, yeah. the... You don't see any land animals hardly at all. It's 99% marine fossils. marine fossils. That's all we see. So you're, I think you're only flooding in shallow marine areas. And you can stack them all, and they stack on top of each other in these areas. We can look at North America, we see again, a blue continuous limestone layer, just like we saw a sandstone layer in this sequence in the Kaskaskia, it's called the third chapter up, 
we see limestone. This is what makes most of our caves across North America. Right. We see caves in Kentucky and caves in South, you know, down in New Mexico, caves in the Black Hills in South Dakota, all in the same layer, this Mississippian, Devonian type layer. So there, again, how do you explain? Over millions of years, supposedly, you're supposed to get sand to move across the country and make that sandstone layer, the blanket sand. Millions of years, you're supposed to make limestone layer. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. If you would think over millions of years of time that they claim this took to be deposited, things would change. Why do we see the same layer all the way all around? All the way over. And it's not so just North America over. shows a lot of really cool stuff. So you can see these limestone layers. Here's Wind oh, Cave in South Dakota, Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Beautiful. And you go back, that's where they are, those red dots. And so you can see these caves. So when you look at the fossils, like Kaskaskia, typically you do is like the first three chapters, it's almost all marine. Until you get to the top of the Mississippi, and it's called, or the middle of the Carboniferous, the Europeans call it, then suddenly you start seeing land animals, but they're always mixed with marine. Huh. And so you can go to the Bible, you can read about God gives us day 40 in the Bible. It talks about day one, right. of the deep, 40 days of rain. And I think it was, you know, people that were watching us, they would have saw a lot of rain, maybe for the first time, exactly where the rain was coming from. You know, there's some debate on that. But by day 40, God tells us this, and the flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased and brought up the ark. So now we know you're flooding the land because you know the ark has got enough water to start to float. So there could have been people on mm -hmm. earth mm -hmm. even after 40 days from the beginning mm -hmm. of the flood. Still high and dry. Still high and dry mm -hmm. and not actually totally yeah. having no, all that. All. It's yeah, the, the rocks show a progressive flood. They don't show it flooding right away. And so the, and the Bible tells us in Genesis 7, the waters increased and bear up the ark. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. And that's when you go to the end of the chapter, it talks about 150 days. Yeah. So it rose, I think, for 150 days, but it really kicked into gear. With the plate tectonics really started going, subduction started really humming along around day, maybe just before day 40. So you're really now starting to push those waves. No longer just shallow seas, you're now starting to flood the land. And that's where we suddenly see coal seams showing up in the ark floating. Okay, hang on before you get to that. Oh, uh, we want to go to uh, chapter 4 through chapter 6. But mm -hmm. uh, Facebook and YouTube, i got to let you guys go. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope that even this is enough to help you see, wow, the data seems to fit a worldwide flood. We're going to go into that in a little bit more detail. Let me encourage you to visit icr.org and just Google Dr. or uh, go, go there and do a search for Dr. Tim Clary. Mm -hmm. And uh, his articles and his research will come up. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, it's rock solid. It's, it's, it's it the data. You're mm -hmm. just looking at the data going, it confirms what God's Word says. That's exactly, and there's a lot more details that we're, yeah. we're glossing over. Right, we're just hitting the surface but, of it. I mean, it's just, it's compelling. Ah. To me, there's no other way to explain it besides the global flood. All right, we're going to go into some more detail for our partners. If you want to be a partner, go to creationtoday.org mm -hmm. and you can partner with us and uh, be part of this conversation mm -hmm. and, and ask questions of our experts.